didn't picture myself in a, in a position like this. I didn't even think that positions like this existed. Right. And I think that there are a couple of different types of people in high school. You know, there's the people who really know what they want to do in life. And, and, uh, that's fantastic. That's super, super exciting. If that's actually what they, they know, and it's an intrinsic, intrinsic, uh, motivation and value versus extrinsic, you know, something that their parents tell them or something like that. But those people who really know what they want to do, that's fantastic. You have a head start on everybody else, but everybody else, you know, we don't really know what we're doing. You know, when you're, when you're 14, 15, 18, 20, 25, whatever it is. And I, uh, for, for myself, I think it was a lot of, um, experimentation, you know, trying a couple of different things, seeing what worked and seeing what I, what I liked and, and kind of like match those things to what I could get paid for. Right. So I think that that was a little bit of it. Went to school, um, grew up in Vancouver, went to school at the University of Toronto for four years, did a undergraduate degree in like marketing and commerce, uh, and business. And then, um, you know, started working in ad agencies for about a decade, 10 years, a couple of different ad agencies, um, from started at a place, my entry level job was at, at a place called Armstrong partnerships in Toronto, then moved to taxi, uh, which is a bigger ad shop in Toronto, then moved to a place called, uh, Sidley in Montreal, then Sidley in New York, then, um, publicist in New York. And then after that, um, my wife got an awesome job in Toronto and we had to move back and, and. Um, was looking for for opportunities there and saw there was an opportunity with the Toronto Raptors, uh, which is an NBA team um, out there. And they were looking for uh, a manager, actually. I was a VP at the time uh, in, in New York and uh, took a significant step down to kind of like get back to Toronto and, and do something that I thought could be kind of interesting um, and did a little bit of a step change. So I've been in sports for the last five years you know, doing sports marketing, which is great for pro teams. So, uh, the Toronto Raptors, then the Toronto Maple Leafs, then Maple Leaf sports and entertainment and their live music and, and retail elements. And then over here in the NFL with the Los Angeles Rams. So, yeah. Oh, well, well, your work experience is definitely extensive. And I, I just want to, you know, personally, I just want to know a little bit more about like your experience at the LA Rams or what you're doing now. So what does your position kind of entail or what do you, what are you in charge of? I know you're in charge of branding, but like, what is that really? Cause for a lot of, you know, the average user, uh, average viewer, like branding is just kind of marketing in, in a sense, but like, how did you, what do you do to be at the top of, you know, the NFL game and being at the top of basically a big, big football team as the LA Rams? Yeah, totally. So there's a couple of things to unpack in there, right? That I think would be valuable for, for your listeners. And I think the first is that the, the truth of the matter is when I was interviewing for this job, I had no idea what it meant, right? Like there was a job description. It was kind of loosely put together, but really what was needed was somebody to come in and help the chief marketing officer, the CMO really pull a lot of things together, right? So originally with the job description, it was really, Hey, brand experience, live events, and a little bit of marketing strategy in there, right? So anytime that um, a fan interacts with the brand, you know, myself or my team should be controlling or guiding that experience, 
right? So whether it's at the game with 70,000 people at the stadium, whether it's in the community with some of the, some of the community festivals and things that, that, that we're doing or fan fest or training camp or any of those kind of like free fan, fan events, that's really where uh, the position started out. And then realistically, it kind of has grown and adjusted from there. You know, we're in a constant state of flux. I started in January 2020 and then March 2020, the pandemic happened, right? So there's a big adjustment that kind of had to happen there. Um, and then, you know, there's been some leadership changes around here um, with the Los Angeles Rams, which is super exciting. Um, but, you know, everyone, the team that we're looking to build right now is just a lot of strong marketers and a lot of strong marketing athletes. And we're still trying to figure out the right structure to service our business with it, right? How do we great, create the greatest value for fans in the stadium? How do we create the greatest opportunities to grow our fan base by a significant amount? How do we create the best uh, digital landscape and content structure to really get different types of contents out there for different uh, different groups of fans, right? So thinking through all of those things and that and 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 to be quite transparent with you, that's not all my team, right? That's that there's a bunch of different teams here that are working in our, in our marketing department and across different uh, our media and our content, our digital, all of that kind of stuff to make things happen and, and to bring the Rams brand to life. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do and how we're really measured is by how many fans we have, right? And how big our audience is and how engaged that audience is. So really the role of marketing when it comes to a sports team side is is to put the stories out there, put the engagements out there, put the experiences out there that allow people to become fans of your brand and your team. Yeah, and that's even important for my podcast right now. So that's a, that's a really great point you made. Uh, just moving on, you know, one word that kind of describes today's business world is what connections. You know, uh, we all talk about it. How do we make connections? Are they important? What is the best way to get them? Uh, I just want to hear your take. I know we talked a little bit before the show and we uh, connections have really played a role in terms of your position now and in your entire career. So I, I just wanted to hear your take on, you know, connections as a whole. Is it is it the most important thing? Because there's a lot of misconception in terms of, oh, I'm just going to go get a lot of connections instead of, you know, working hard and using the connections as like a stepping stone. So uh, I just want to hear your opinion with connections. What is the best way to get them? That could be a, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, I will say before we even get started, if you don't have a base skill level or a base work ethic, or you wouldn't actually be good at the job, connections aren't useful, right? You need to go back and focus on the key fundamentals, right? So similar to if you, um, similar if you wanna be a good hockey player and you have a wicked shot, but you can't fucking skate, then guess what? You can't play hockey at the pro level, yeah. right? Which is essentially the plot of Happy Gilmore. Um, but, um, but, but, but realistically, if you don't like go out and create the base skill level first and then leverage that to build your network. I think the importance of networks is, is, is just the fact that we live in a world now where everyone is accessible or sorry, 95% of people that you want to reach out to are accessible by DMs, whether it's on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, emails, all of those things, right? So I think the benefit 
that we have now is the cold approach and the cold outreach is a lot more accessible. Now, what does that mean? That means that people get a lot more junk in their inboxes or in their DMs than they normally do, right? So being able to break through through that is really, really important. But at the end of the day, if you don't take that shot and you don't aren't actively reaching out pe for people and you aren't actively building your network, you're not gonna learn. And you're not gonna learn one, how to actually network and, and, and meet people, but you're also not gonna learn about the industry. You're not also not gonna learn about what people are looking for. You're also not gonna learn about how you speak and how to improve, right? So I would say cold outreach, cold outreach, cold outreach is probably the best way to go out there and build a network from nothing. If you live in a small town like Trois-Rivières in Quebec, and you actually don't have a big scene of whatever you're doing, whether it's tech, whether it's startups, whether it's sports, whether it's whatever it is, you can still reach out to everybody. You can still connect with everybody. And, and the cost of doing so is so low, it's so low that it's always worth it. You know, Alex, you and I talked earlier about this when we, when we, when we connected, and you're saying like, I was actually surprised, Christian, that you like got back to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, but like it could have easy, just as easily fallen through the cracks in my in my day or whenever I was kind of like looking at my messages and I could have not gotten back to you. But the cost of that was zero to you, right? Probably five minutes of your time, maybe 30 minutes of your time to 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 think about a message to reach out to me. And then it takes 30 and then make it as easy as you can on the other end for the other person to say yes, right? Here are time options that are available. Here's I'll set it up. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll send the questions ahead of time, all of that kind of stuff, right? So definitely be respectful of people's time, but always feel comfortable cold outreaching. Because the worst, here, here's, the, here's the thing that I will say. From my perspective on both sides, right? The way that I got my current job is I cold outreached the CMO. That was as soon as the job was posted. I was like, hey, I also warm outreach through my network and she heard about me through them as well, right? But it was a cold outreach. So... That's what happened to get my current job. On the flip side, when people called outreach to me, if someone's super annoying and super aggressive or any of that kind of stuff or, or is a little bit uncouth, I still don't remember their name, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying being overly aggressive, but the worst thing that, that, that happens is that people will forget that you reached out, you know? Um, so that's what I would say. And then I would say the last thing on this one is a great resource that we talked about previously um, is a book called The Third Door, especially for anybody early in college or late in high school, uh, you know, in that kind of like 15 to 22 age range. The Third Door by Alex Benian uh, was a fantastic book about his personal journey to kind of go through and basically cold outreach a bunch of people and end up with a network you know, end up end, ending up sitting down to interview Bill Gates, ending up sitting down and interviewing Lady Gaga and helping her with some of her like branding elements, right? So I think that's a real interesting story with some really hard fought lessons that maybe have mistakes that not everybody has to repeat. Yeah, and I think that in today's world, we have so many outlets, as you said, in terms of outreach. And it's very important to outreach because at the end of the day, um, your network that you can make like verbally or through through your job is quite quite small compared to the networks of many other people that are just cold outreach all day. 
And um, at the end of the day, like I kind of agree with you, but I also think that there's some sort of limit in terms of cold outreach because at, at some point you just reach a point where you're just like outreaching to everyone. But instead of, you know, uh, really trying to understand and try to approach the right people that you actually need instead of just in increasing the amount of connections on LinkedIn, for example. So I feel like that's a common misconception as well. Interesting. Interesting. I guess it depends what scale you're looking for. Yeah. Right. If you're looking for people who run game presentations in professional sports organizations there and so game presentation is like everything that you see and you feel inside the arena. So what's on the jumbotron, what's going on in the timeouts, what's going on, uh, you know, with a dance pack or giveaways or, or programming and cameras and all of that kind of stuff. There's probably 200 people in North America that do that. Right. So it's a very, very small market. Whereas if you're um, looking to understand what it's like to be a certified professional accountant and you're looking for somebody with a CPA, there's probably like 50 to 100,000 of those people, um, maybe more. I have no idea. Right. So I think it, it, it depends on the scale. I think you're absolutely right. Be, be mindful. Don't be an asshole. And when you are connecting with people, Make it easy for them to say yes. Don't put a lot of the burden of the work on them. If, you, if you're sliding into, let's say you're going back with some, and forth with somebody and you're trying to offer value. Be like, what can I do for you? That's a lot of thinking for yeah. the other person to figure out what you can do for them. Whereas if you go in and you say like, hey, I actually noticed that your SEO is a little bit messed up. Here's how I'd recommend improving it. Would you like me to do this for you? Then that's a lot easier. So. Yeah. And also I feel like uh, just, you know, going off that, I feel like in terms of cold outreach, a lot of people kind of take it as just a, a copy and paste message yep. to a lot of different people. But I would say like, even in my like brief experience and cold outreach, I feel like um, when you give someone some sort of value in terms of, Oh, I'm going to help you with this, or I'm going to do this. Can you please help me with this specifically? Like yep. it's not like I, I have, sometimes I get like messages on LinkedIn and they're like, Oh, hey, Alex, I want to chat for the future of sales, for example. And to me, like, that doesn't mean anything because at the end mm -hmm. of the day, like, what is the future of sales? Like, I, I like, obviously I'm interested to learn, but at the end of the day, I can just search it up. Why, why should I, you know, call with this guy and he's going to tell me what the future of sales is, but he's not helping you with like a direct, you know, direct answer to something. Like I have certain problems that he's not helping me with like, for example, right now, like I, I was looking for like a video editor to edit like my podcast sure. and kind of create them uh, in a better fashion. And I have people read, I, I need to like find you. And if someone came up to me and said, Hey, Alex, I'm a video editor. I can help you with this podcast. I'll, I'll be all for it. And the, I feel like hitting that sweet spot is what a lot of people kind of miss in terms of cold outreach. Cause they start, they start missing a lot and not hitting the spot that people need. And then they just get discouraged and stop outreaching, but you should never do that because at the end of the day, you miss one, you'll miss, uh, you'll miss a lot, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you'll get like two or three people to respond. And those could be like life changing. So, um, I think that's a very important point you make. Yeah. I, and, and, and to dig in that, into that just a little bit more, the other thing that I would say is learn from every interaction right? 
always figure out how you can get better. It's not about copying and pasting the one message to the next, to the next, to the next. It's like you put one out there, it gets a response, but it's not exactly the way you want. How do you adjust it for the next time, right? Yeah. Run those experiments with yourself and constantly figure out how you can get better, right? <laughs> learn, from, learn from your mistakes, learn from the non-responses, learn from the failures, experiment around there, and then you're able to iterate and get better. You're not just like, throwing the same ball at the same wall and expecting a different result. Absolutely. Well, moving on to kind of your, your own experience. I, I, I really want to know, I asked this to all my podcast uh, speakers and I, I really want to know what kind of advice would you give yourself as, uh, as like right now you're the VP of branding at, at the LA Rams. What would you give yourself if you were uh, to your grade 12 self, what would you say to him? Well, would you, would you say to him that you would do something different or, uh, is everything you did justified in your opinion? Yeah. Look, if I look back to when I was 18, like, I don't know what it is, like 20 years ago or some, something like that, of course, I'm going to go and approach it with a different level of knowledge and different level of experience. Right. Um, that, and, and the advice that I would give is just get out there earlier and experiment more, like try new things, start that business when you have no risk and no, you know what I mean? When there's no risk and you're not paying for a house or this or that or any of that kind of stuff, right? House, kids, cars, any of that kind of stuff. Your cost of living and your burn rate is really, 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 really low. It's the lowest that it will ever be. You are spending the least amount of money that you will ever spend on living, which means you can invest a lot of the, any extra money, time, all of that kind of stuff into experiments to figure out what you want to do. Right. And you don't have to necessarily say that you need to commit to something right away. Right. R try, try something for three months, three years, whatever it is, and see if it works out. And then if it doesn't work out, try the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And just figure out how, you, where you, you know, you don't have to have the full destination, but keep a journal, take notes, reflect on it, and then use that as information to improve. And, and to direct your life into the right direction. I mean, me 20, 20 years ago, I didn't know where I wanted to go, right? I knew I wanted to be in advertising and I wanted to work on beer accounts because beer ads looked really fun to 18 year old me, right? But I got there in like five years and you're like, okay, cool, now what, right? Yeah. So I think when you're 18, there's a lot of things that you're stressing about, right? You're stressing and, and you're stressing about where, where can I go to school, right? Do I want to go to university or college or trade school or whatever it is? Which one can I get into? Is that really important? You know, all of that kind of stuff, um, which seems like so important to you in that moment in time. You know, is my girlfriend who I'm dating in high school going to come with me to university? Are we going to keep dating long distance or not? Like these things seems like these massive things. Um, but I would say, you know, take a deep breath. You know, be comfortable, get comfortable with things not succeeding and making sure, make sure you're able to learn from them. Right. And I think even those if are... you don't succeed, just to add, if you don't succeed, I feel like use that as motivation to move on and try something new because that, that's, that's an important part because motivation is really something like I would say motivation and passion kind of go hand in hand and they mm -hmm. kind of lead you through your career. Would you say that? Like, because in, mm -hmm. in my opinion right now, like I feel like I'm. I'm basically fueled on, on motivation because I'm kind of motivated to get this message out there, uh, mm -hmm. to get, you know, people like me informed 
about about their future you know careers their future education and what to do with it right so um that kind of fuels me and that kind of goes hand in hand with passion because passion is what kind of drives you to do something extra you know that's something that like it's passion i feel like is an emotion that kind of leads you to get out of that pack of people moving in one direction trying to make you different and uh i I was wondering if you have the same kind of take on it yeah a little bit different or a little bit more nuanced with that so Uh there's a canadian author named neil pashricha um who wrote the happiness equation and a couple other things he used to uh, he was like a Harvard MBA, then he ended up working uh, in uh, in the executive team at Walmart, then he kind of like was super unhappy and dove into, dove into happiness. And one of the things, one of the key lessons that I remember reading from his book was that it's not necessarily that motiv- motivation without action is useless, right? And motivation doesn't isn't always the thing that causes action. Action can actually be the thing that causes motivation. Right. So you could be motivated as hell to get in shape, but if you don't actually go to the gym for a couple weeks in a row, then you're not, then that motivation is kind of useless. Whereas if you go to the gym one day and then another day and then another day, and you kind of string a bunch of them together, then all of a sudden that motivation comes up because you like the way that you feel from that. You like the way that you're starting to the connections that you're making, the routine that you're building, all of that kind of stuff. So he told a really interesting story about like learning how to swim as an adult, which is, you know, depending on the culture that you come from, like a bunch of people don't know how to swim as an adult. And they're like, shit, I'm in Canada. I need to know how to swim. I'm going to a lake house, right? Or something like that, right? And he talked about learning how to swim as an adult. and 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 they didn't just toss him into the deep end, as in be like, figure it out. The first lesson was them literally like just being in the water, in a pool and like kind of go into a little bit deeper. And then they were like, oh, cool, get out. And then the next week they went a little bit deeper and they got out. The next week they got a little bit deeper. And he's like, when do I actually get to fucking swim, right? And when do I actually get to learn to swim? And what he was learning was that the more that you showed up and he showed up and he showed up, then the motivation to learn how to swim actually came out. Mm. Right? And And the desire to kind of like push himself further and further and further. So probably what you're doing Right now, there's a difference between being motivated to start a podcast and actually getting out there and recording with people, mm. right? Actually booking talent, actually booking interviews and actually connecting with people and, 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 and creating, creating it, right? And there's a difference between creating it and actually publishing it, right? There's a, there's, there's, there's a gap. And what I would say, if you look back at any creators Sorry, any, any of the internet creators that, that, that we have out there, whether it's video, whether it's podcast, whether it's um, social media, even with, if, if it's writers, you know, whether it's blog posts or any of that kind of stuff, go look back at their old shit. Go look back at the stuff that they were posting in like 2011, 2013, 2007, whatever it is. It's terrible, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But they got good because they kept on showing up and showing up. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a really good point. So I don't want to take more more of your time, but uh, I'll just end it off on a really simple, but I guess important question for a lot of people that are trying to get into a field similar to yours. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, a, and a common question that a lot of people ask as well. So it is like, what is your typical day? So how do you work? Like, 
I guess there's, there is no typical day, but sure. uh, like, what is What is something that you work on early morning? What is something you work on late at night or do you work late at night? So are you, is it kind of like flexible? Because it really depends on the industry. Some industries are kind of flexible in terms of how the work day goes. So I want to hear your Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll answer your, I'll answer those as, as two things. I'll answer the, like, what is it? What is, I'll, I'll tell you what today looks like. And then we okay. can kind of figure everything else right. out um, from there. So what does today look like? So today, um, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. Like got into the office at about eight 30, banged out a bunch of just like reply. I typically check my email twice a day between eight 30 and nine and between like four 30 and five 30, um, to kind of like respond to everything that needs to be done, making sure my team is set up for the day. Right. So that really the first thing off my plate is to get any answers to my team that they need to move forward, right? So yeah. that I'm not a stopper and I'm, and that team is able to like go, 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 go with limited inter with, with limited interruptions from myself. Talking to you, have another conversation right after this, um, couple, couple of meetings that I'm driving, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking a hike to, to our training camp in, which is in Irvine. I'm going to be spending the afternoon there with fans, interacting with fans, making sure that our our, experience, our brand and experience team over there is doing a really good job. It's day six of, a ten, of 10 days of open practice at training camp. Um, and then um, heading back for, for a little bit of work on uh, and calls on, on, the, on the ride home. And then, you know, maybe a little bit of work this evening. So nothing too crazy today. Um, here's what I will say. You choose the work environment that you're in. You choose it by choosing a company or choosing the work culture that you're going into when you're saying yes to a job. And you're also choosing it by creating it yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very easy. When I was younger, I worked a lot longer hours, right? Because I didn't have a family. I didn't have something to pull me in to be like, hey, I need to be there for dinner or I need to be there for bedtime or any of that kind of stuff, right? Like I kind of kind of do whatever I want and work whatever hours that I wanted. I was also at a period where I kind of did whatever I wanted because I knew I didn't value sleep at the time. Right now, I do, right? That's just a function of who I am and, and, and the lessons I've learned along the way. But everyone's different. But remember yeah. that you choose the work environment that you're in and you choose how to reinforce your boundaries based on that, right? So what I, I have a fantastic team that allows me to do this. Right. I've also built a system that allows me to, 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 to do this as well, but not everybody has that luxury. And certainly it's easy to like burn the candle, candle at both ends and work 21 hour days. Yeah. I will say for myself, if I don't get eight hours of sleep, my productivity drops in half. So that's what I learned and that's what I've adjusted for. Yeah.